But um, no, I was playing football last night, and uh, like you know, when you play in five a side against those guys who just like don't recognise that it's a Thursday night, and they're like taking it so seriously. Anyway, they were just like my my, my mate Dylan. He's our, he's who's our best player, and they just kept on kicking his legs off. And the referee was giving us nothing. So I tried to prove a point by literally just doing full Bruno. And I, I was in the corner. Someone like kicked me, didn't get any of the ball. So I just threw myself in the air. I was in the, I, had, I must have had an air time of about 2.8 seconds or something. Uh, I'm like a sardine coming out of the sea and uh, threw myself on the floor. I actually hit my head diving. It was, it was, it was that bad. But also, it was a Like hand oh, on hand dive. It was a dive. It was, I exaggerated. What was a foul? You know, one of them ones where you know you've definitely been fouled. But um, I'm imagining we... Ashley Young. Remember when he went through that period where he just kicked <laughs> people and fall over? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that. Um, so yeah, that happened and we lost. Uh, it was annoying then because I, you know, oh, I threw myself to the ground. I know, and I was, I was, I was doing all the histrionics, um, and and they and they they meant nothing and. You know, they were just getting at us. They, were, they must have been what in their thirties. You know, they were giving us all those of slack about us being smaller than them and you know being younger than them. And it was just kind of annoying to lose to those guys, to be honest with you. But yeah, then I went home. I listened to the um, Jackmate podcast, which I I love. Um, good inspiration for, for for well, it's not really inspiration, is it? It's completely yeah. I was going to say the the tactical like us as like people compared to Jackmate. Like Jackmate's all about fun, and we're like. The most serious tacticos. Yeah, <laughs> we are very serious. <laughs> no, literally, yeah. I don't think there'd be any clips of me um, doing little circles around my chair making pig noises, but that was <laughs> a very funny moment anyway. Um, but yeah, we're here. We've got quite a lot to talk about. What, what have you been up to, mate? Because it's been a while, hasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, last time we spoke, I feel like every time we've spoke on the pod, there's always some Ineos development going on. Yeah, there uh, is, yeah. I think in terms of what we've got set up for today, there is a lack of Ineos, which might be a good thing for some people because we're talking more about the topical stuff going on uh, on the football pitch. And what's going on sort of around Man United right now is very divisive. I feel like it's been Man United versus the world. It's been Ten Hag versus the world, Bruno Fernandes versus the world. The media has just been really pulling together some some opposition to to what Ten Hag is going on. And in some cases, it's rightly so. You know, there's very just criticisms to be made. So the kind of setup for today's episode is basically going through all the topical stuff where the media and, you know, there have been criticisms against Manchester United, Ten Hag and, and the players. And going through, quite logically, uh, both arguments, because there is a side for the criticism, there is a side for... Um, Ten Hag and and what Man United have got going on, but here's something that might be a bit out of your comfort zone. It might be out of mine. We're okay. not allowed to do any fencing. <laughs> we can come up with the logical assessments. We can be like, oh, this is an argument here. This is an argument there. But at the end of it, Isaac, I want a verdict from both of us. Whether the Man United camp is correct in this scenario, or the media is correct in this scenario. So just a list of topics that we're going to go through just before we jump into it. Again, sort of inspired by the content you've been putting out on United Cloud. Uh, we've got media and teams targeting Bruno Fernandes. Uh, Ten Hag has recently made a couple comments on that. Uh, Rashford dropped a you know, really insightful article yesterday with the Players' Tribune 
uh, very Rashford versus media, Rashford versus the world, um, you know, doubting his commitment. So that's a very good topic to go into. And then we've got Ten Hag's battles with the media. We've got Ten Hag versus Carragher. Carragher did a piece on Monday Night Football. Uh, Ten Hag just generally trying to, you know, rationalise the results and performances we've been seeing from Man United. And um, also some internal discussions from United fans on whether Ten Hag is, in fact, the right guy. So that's the setup uh, for today's episode, Isaac. What, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the whole sort of scenario around Man United and how divisive it has been in the last couple of weeks? I think I tweeted something the other day saying, you know, it just sums up where we are at the moment, that most of the fans, or at least a lot of the fans whose opinions I quite respect, you know, more tactical heads as well, like a lot of the fans kind of would not be against Ten Hag being sacked. Yeah, he's nominated for Premier League Manager of the Month. I think it just sums it all up at the moment, doesn't it, really? It's it's been a bit of a pragmatic, uh, up and down sort of mess uh, in pretty much every sense possible. Um, I don't know. I was at the Fulham game uh, last weekend and that was a really frustrating waste of time, uh, to be honest with you. And I, I was I was shocked because I, I saw I saw some better things in terms of how regularly Dallow was inverting and how we were building up and, you know, there were some better things that looked good, but none of it worked and it was lethargic and there was no one able to beat a man. I thought, you know, Forson was chucked in at the deep end and you could tell he was chucked in at the deep end. Uh, Rashford was wasted through the middle. I don't know why he changed the dynamics of the front three. He should have just played Forson or whoever at striker and kept Rashford and Ganacho where they were because we hasn't been good. And I thought that the reason why he played Forson, not Anthony, was because he was thinking about the long term where he'd want to keep Garnacho on the right and Rashford on the left and have those dynamics. But again, it just became a, a pragmatic short-term thing. And I, Ten Hag's, like, again, still caught in this weird compromise. And it's just really annoying because you, you're getting all this crazy stuff in the media and our results and everything around the club. It all stems from the fact that we're just caught between a rock and a hard place between is it short term is it long term and it's yeah it's frustrating to be fair (laughs) it does feel it does feel don't you think sort of I don't want to make it doom and gloom but the months before you know the criticism that Ollie received in terms of lack of identity and like it was the start of the end when them criticism started to become more tangible and more prominent in the media because that's sort of the the straw that that broke Ollie's back and I feel like in this sense, Ten Hag's starting to get the same criticisms, and in some cases, rightly so. And, you know, do, do you think this could be a big period in Ten Hag's United career right now? Well, I, I, definitely. It's, it does feel like it's sort of now or never. I, I, I thought that, you know, these two games coming up now, we had Forest and, and City. Um, we obviously beat Forest, um, and that was a really important result for him. Um, I think that now means he can afford to lose a City game. But I was thinking, well, if he loses both of these two, which are, which is very plausible, um, then he's out of the FA Cup and he's you know lost a derby, which is expected, but still you know a, would, would would be a bad result. Then you're in a position where you're thinking, well, that's three in a row. Ineos could just say, right, that's it. Our mind, our minds are made up. We're going to start looking at other managers now. But um, he obviously beat Forest, which is very important. Um, so I do think it's very much like it feels again like he's on a game-to-game basis. The pressure is very, very high. Um, I mean, it always is high at United, and I think Fernandez said some things about that the other day himself. And you know, Rooney said on 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 punditry after the FA Cup game. You know, he knows what it's like. It is every game is a crisis. And Ten Hag did say to the interviewer 
well, we're actually undefeated in 2024 other than Fulham. And I think it is quite difficult to to, to lose sight, or quite easy to lose sight of that, given the fact that the performances have been so underwhelming. Um, and I think that is something you've got to consider. This is all a long-term thing now. We're not, even if Ten Hag is trying to win every game, you know, as it comes to in his job, the entire idea now is we're building for next season. This season isn't really anywhere near where we want to be, even if we do win the FA Cup and get top four. We want to be competing for the title in the Champions League. So it's, it's still not what we want to be. Um, obviously, getting top four and winning the FA Cup would be great. But I think it gets to the point where you re- we, we, everyone's got to realise that we're in this for the long term. This is a long term thing. And it doesn't feel like that at the moment. It's really weird. So we'll, we'll talk about the long term and more about Ten Hag. We'll park Ten Hag for now. And we'll mm-hmm. jump into just something you've said about, um, <clears throat> well, the Forest game in general. And our main topic area, the first topic area of Bruno Fernandes. Uh, yeah. He's obviously got um, a lot of lot said about him after the Forest game. Ten Hag came out and said that Forest players were targeting him. And then recently he's also said that the media have been targeting him. And, you know, the likes of clubs like Fulham posting about Ten Hag, which I think is a bit of a ridiculous video in terms of, like, it makes Bruno look a bit silly and fair enough. Like, it's just a bit of banter, but... It's odd seeing the manager reference that directly. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Bruno Fernandes in general and uh, yeah. whether the criticisms of Bruno being our captain and Ten Hag's response to being him being unfairly treated. You know, what do you make of that? Well, I'm the captain of my five side team, and I was diving around like an idiot yesterday. So I can't, I can't be too critical here. But no, um, I do think the media there is there is very much a clear media, social media perception of Manchester United players, and definitely one that transcends that and actually goes into the game. And, and the referees seem to share. And it's Bruno, but it's also Casemiro, right? And what I want to say is, Bruno Fernandez is consistently targeted um, by teams. Um, you know, who know that he has a reputation for diving and going down. I think there's so many times this season where Fernandez hasn't had free kicks when he really should have done because the referees have just looked over it. Uh, Fernandez was strangled by Felipe um, in the Nottingham Forest game. And if Casemiro had done that, but what Casemiro did to Will Hughes was nowhere near as bad, he would be sent off. It's all reputation, right? And it's probably the referee sees as Bruno Fernandez being strangled rather than, say, I don't know, Diogo Dallo. And maybe takes a more dim view on it. I mean, this is obviously all like, you know, what aboutery. And I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not here for what aboutery. But it is clear that there are narratives against some of our players um, that, 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 that exist on social media and within the, the actual confines of the, of the match. Um, so I'm not, I, I, I'm someone who's always offended Bruno. And I think that he cares deeply about the club and that, that might not always come out in the most savoury of ways, but... I think he's someone who deeply cares, who is capable of motivating those around him. And, you know, he, he shows he shows his passion every time he plays. And I think no one can ever doubt that. Um, so like, I think as a leader, I understand why people might think his style is not quite right in that he is maybe too what's, emotional. What's your ideal leader, Isaac? If you're going to paint one like sort of perfect leader per- on the football pitch, what is it? Well, I think you need to you need you need that there's a balance, isn't there? Because you, when you act like that, when you, when you, when you have the histrionics and when you have the 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 over overzealous displays of passion, like Fernandez does, you need to be able to back it up by having a cool head and not actually losing your head yourself. And you also need to not look like an idiot. Now, I think it's very easy to look like an idiot doing that. I mean, the easiest way to not look like an idiot is to win the game. Um, 
I'm speaking a lot from experience here, from literally what happened to me last night, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you have like, for example, Roy Keane, right? Nasty, will indulge in this sort of side, this dirtier side of the game, not just in terms of putting in nasty tackles, but making a fuss about things, screaming at referees, you know, probably not being the most sportsman-like. Um, but if you have something like that, um, that's probably more where you want to go. Someone who's like got the respect and the command and the command with it. I'm not sure Fernandez has always had that, but I don't think it's fair. I just wanted to pick up on something there. Like, I feel like mm. the main thing I take away from it, which is my biggest criticism of the media. So it's a, this whole episode's about sort of taking sides and making verdicts. My biggest criticism of the media is that it's only ever a problem when United are losing. When we're winning and Bruno Fernandes is throwing his arms about, you know, obviously now he's picked up a bit of a reputation for it, so he will get criticised. But I, I think back to Hannibal Mabry being subbed on against Liverpool and just causing a fuss, like pushing Liverpool players, basically looking to start a fight. And Gary Neville in commentary at that point, when United players looked dejected, his perception of Hannibal Mabry doing that was wow, look at this young kid showing more passion than any of the senior players on the pitch. Yeah. And then a few games later, I remember this, and Bruno Fernandes is doing it again. And the perception is completely different. It's, oh, he's a senior player and he's causing a fuss. So this is my biggest criticism of the media. And this is why I'm more leaning on the side of United versus the media for this particular section is it's only ever a problem when United are losing. And they don't hold this consistent line of questioning on whether he's a good leader when United did go on a bit of a run uh, last year and it, it, it all went a bit quiet on the Bruno front. So it's a bit of an assassination of character as soon as things start going bad. And that, that's my biggest criticism of it. Isaac, if I were to ask you the same thing, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be leaning on the United side, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. If you can no. try rationalise the media side and then maybe make a verdict on on who you're siding with in this scenario, well, I, 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 without getting into you know like putting United's name everywhere to sell more copies sort of <laughs> discourse, um, which is something a lot of people would say. Like uh, often, you know, people do want to read about Manchester United, and there's when Manchester United don't win, there's a lot to say about. Them. And when they do win, it'll say about them too, of course. But, you know, I prefer, as a, technically as a, I don't know, informal sort of media outlet on United Cloud, I prefer to take, talking about United when they win. But, yeah, obviously there's a lot to say about United all the time. Um, and I think that that's through no one's fault other than their own for being the biggest club in the world, right? So... I, I do have time for the media and I understand that articles have got to be written. Uh, obviously, a lot of people will there just seems to be some sort of embellishment and i don't know you know there's not much trust from fans in, in in media at the moment which is completely fair i think um i'm definitely on the united side without question i i think that you're right they do look to kick us when we're down and i think united have always been kicked when they're down um because it's interesting it's it's content it's content right you, you know you see manchester united not winning matches you see chaos happening you see the captain losing his head you see you know whatever else they talk about uh with ten hogs tactics and everything and it, it makes it can make sense but so much of it is unsubstantiated uh and a lot of it is said for the sake of saying it because people know that people are interested in it um 
So I'm definitely on United's side, uh, but I don't really, at the same time, I don't, I like, all the sympathy that I have for United is kind of counteracted by the fact that it's their own fault for being the biggest club in the world who people care about and want to read about. So, you know, you're going to get stories. I just think it's part and parcel of the game. Hated, adored, never ignored is, never ignored. is the flag that we, we put up. Uh, moving on to the, uh, the next topic that we're going to try rationalise and make a verdict on. And I feel like this one, there's more chance that we could you know, make more arguments for the media. And that mm-hmm. is the emotional roller coaster that is Marcus Rashford. Um, I was very surprised, Isaac, that he actually came out and spoke about it. You know, I feel like a lot of players haven't really nipped stories at the bud at United and it's just sort of simmered for a long time. And Rashford coming out and sort of saying his side and making a piece with uh, the Players' Tribune, it was surprising to me. Uh, how did you feel when when you saw the article released? I mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't that surprised because I thought it was only a matter of time because I could t- you could tell he's getting frustrated. He had a couple of tweets earlier in the season, you know, where he directly called something out, and I, I you know, I don't want to like cause any beef, but like I think the way that other fan certain fan channels have dealt with Marcus Rashford this season has been very disingenuous at best. Um, and I, I think in fan media, his perception is, is, is ridiculous. And I looked at the comments on the pit's post and there were so many people, you know, being, you know, it's me the most, most like comments were overtly negatively biased. Um, so I kind of get it. I think he must be incredibly frustrated with everything he's had. Um, I really appreciate footballers sort of breaking that fourth wall and being honest. I think it's a really, really good thing to do because so many, uh, you know, my, my, the thing I've always said is that the reason why footballers get so much abuse is because people don't view them as, as humans. They view them as commodities. So they view them as, and, you know, Marcus Rashford said, you know, Marcus Rashford is not, yeah. is not him, the man, the 26 year old from Windsor. He's actually a character, right? Who's talked about in the media. So I guess it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I, I kind of understand why footballers feel they need to do this. And if anyone's going to do it, if anyone's got the balls to do it and, 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 and cares enough to do it, it is him. And I do, I do agree. The way people, the way people criticize his sort of commitment to the club is makes no sense to me because he obviously cares deeply. And I think generally every professional footballer cares very deeply about what they do. Otherwise it'd be so obvious. Yeah, to, to play devil's advocate and sort of make the argument for the media. And also a lot of, conversations that internally have been happening between United fans, because there are United mm. fans that are questioning his commitment as well. What, what What's the reason behind that? Like, you know, everyone's saying his body language, him, his off the field antics. There is reason behind Rashford being questioned. And no, I agree. But it's like, just a case of, um, yeah, yeah. What do you think of that? I just, his body language is, has never been great, but it's, it's not, I have, I think the worst, the, the if just melding it back into the tactical side of things, the worst of Marcus Rashford's body language comes when he's isolated playing as a central striker in games where Manchester United are losing. Um, I don't know who has ever played in that position and consistently demonstrated positive body language with a lack of like just service, the the fact that the team are losing all the time, like, like against Fulham, his body language was awful. I, I, I agree. I think it was awful. I and mean, he was very dejected, didn't seem interested. But you can't blame him. 
you know, everyone who's everyone who's been there, Ronaldo, Martial, even Hoyland at the start of the season, in this sort of isolated number nine role at United without the proper structure supporting him, have all looked like frustrated as hell. Like you can't I, I don't think it's something unique to Marcus Rashford. Um and in terms of like him tracking back or whatever, I look, I think he needs to it's it's clear that Ten Hag views Rashford as someone who needs to expend his energy only on counter-attacks. And, you know, he's a very valuable physical profile. I've, I've cut him a lot of slack, slack on the premise that, yeah, Rashford is somebody who you want for the counter-attack. You don't want him to be pressing so much. You know, you do almost have him as a sort of luxury. I don't think his output this season has warranted him being a sort of luxury like that. And he does need to press more. And I think there is actually a tactical issue that he doesn't press so much. Um, but fundamentally i think he does care i think that that's ridiculous line of thinking um and i think you've so created... much tactical. yeah, yeah i think you've created a good segue into the next topic which is um the tactical side of things and there is there's reasons that players you know are looking dejected when they're having to cover 40 40 yards of ground every time they lose the ball and we'll jump onto yeah. that just after making a verdict on marcus rashford i think this one is less simple from our point of view than the Bruno Fernandes verdict, which was, you know, Bruno Fernandes deserves the support. Rashford, for me, um, whilst I, I, I echo the same sentiment as you, like I feel like we don't look at footballers as, as players, uh, as people enough. Um, and I understand that, but he has sent United fans on a bit of an emotional roller coaster, especially this season, to a point where I've always been Marcus Rashford's, you know, biggest fan, biggest supporter. But there have been times this season where the whispers of what the media say about him has has felt real within the stadium, within the fans of Man United, because we're so frustrated with what we're seeing from him. You know, the Belfast stuff, I felt really let down. And I know a lot of United fans felt really let down from that. And I feel like it's getting to a point where a lot of United fans, like myself, are sort of on the like teetering whether they could be swayed into thinking maybe it's just best if we like part ways with Marcus Rashford and maybe we should continue supporting them um I, I haven't teetered onto their parting ways side but the more and more media have gone through character assassination and you know some so, some parts of that have been logical and rational it's you know it's become more of a, a thought piece in my head rather than me just you know, completely being loyal to Marcus Rashford, and no matter what what's going on. So, verdict-wise, I'm still on Marcus Rashford's side. You know, especially with the the piece that he's done and like sort of saying his side. But I, what I will say, the caveat to that is, I think if he didn't say anything and it did just simmer on, I was more likely to jump into the camp of maybe it's best we we part ways. So I, I'm happy that he has come out and said something on that. And I yeah. feel like that that is a big point in his... Well, it's a bit sad to say that a big point in his career is, a, is an article that he's done in media, but I think that is a very important piece that he's done. Um, yeah. But... No, no, I think I think the piece is a good piece um, as well. Like It, it reads well. Uh, you know, the video stuff is good. He, he comes across as really, really genuine in it. You know, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, no, for me, for me, I'm, I'm definitely in in Camp Rashford, um, 
in that I do have sympathy for him as a as a footballer, as a human being, as someone who definitely does you know represent Manchester United. Um, yeah, I agree that the, the stuff in Northern Ireland was not great. Um, it's not entirely clear what happened there, um, and that is frustrating. Um, and yeah, I, I, most of the time though, I look at his sort of performance and I think that a lot of the reason why he struggled this season is tactical and to do with players being unavailable. Mm. So I have sympathy for him on the pitch, but we'll jump into that now. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think. Um, so at the risk of us just doing a clean sweep and saying, oh, everything's on Man United side, media have no point uh, and making us look like very biased um, <laughs> United fans. Uh, we've moved on to a topic that I feel there is a lot more weight on the media side of things. And it sort of links into what Isaac said about, you know, players looking dejective because of tactical reasons. And it's not a case of just players, you know, not showing passion, but actual tactical flaws that are happening and that we're witnessing for the last six months, at least. And that has been highlighted in media um, by Jamie Carragher uh, and his piece on Monday Night Football. And um, it was a very interesting piece. Uh, me and Isaac were talking before recording this. It's, to United fans that have been watching Man United for like the last few months, it's nothing new. Like We've seen that vertical compactness is clearly one of our worst traits as a team, as a setup. And also yeah. our pressing is one of our worst traits. But what Carragher said is basically highlighting what is wrong with United. And, you know, it's put a lot of weight to the questions that we're asking of Eric Ten Hag. Um, and Ten Hag replied to it as well. So, Isaac, just generally, if you want to just sort of run through Carragher's points, maybe, and Ten Hag's responses of him being subjective rather than objective, what do you, what do you make of the whole topic? Um, well, I think Jamie Carragher has always had an agenda against Manchester United as a pundit. You know, he's obviously... He is obviously Jamie Carragher, the Liverpool legend or great. I don't know if he considers himself a legend. but um, What I would say about Carragher is that in this instance, he was absolutely correct in his criticism about United's approach against Fulham. Um, there was one point where he was talking about our out-of-possession shape um, immediately after losing the ball, um, where basically Diogo Dallo and Victor Lindelof as a fullbacks and also Kobe Mainu um, were on the last line because Ten Hag likes to uh, Ten Hag finds that it's beneficial in his football to 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 overload the last line. He likes to play with as many players as possible in the last line of attack. Um, so they had to sprint so far to get back for the counter attack. At the minute we lose the ball, where Casemiro received it on the turn with basically no credible passing options. Uh, it was a bit of a hospital pass by Varane, but he, even Varane had no options because everyone was stuck on the last line. So basically, just completely dissecting our shape in and out of possession all in one, and it was. That was frightening. There was one where he highlighted an Awobi shot that just never should have happened. Talking about the fact that even from the kickoff, Kobe Mainu didn't know whether he had to go or stay because it wasn't clear. There was already an overload after 20 seconds of the game being played, um, which I think sums up United's approach out of possession, which is is a, is a mess. It's a mess. And the, the spaces are too big. It's kind of a weird hybrid between man to man and then a meet like a mid block and then the, the last line pressing high which means there's a space in the middle and Casemiro <coughs> and Mainu have got to cover so much ground in the middle of the pitch and they just can't do it because it's not feasible to ask anyone to do that um I do think that when we've got all our players available it mitigates a lot of the technical issues and actually kind of 
you can get the positives out of having loads of players on the last line and out of having this sort of rock and roll approach. You can actually reap some reward when you've got the full team available. But it's so physically taxing that it's completely unsustainable because you can't have your best team available and you, you, your players are going to get injured, as they have done all season, trying to keep this up, especially when you had a pre-season where you've been, again, not really playing, having any rest. It's been non-stop. You've had a really busy schedule the last couple of years in, in football anyway. I think a big part of management these days is, is managing your players' fitness. Um, and given the sort of lack of coherent squad building, and the lack of aligned profiles beyond our first 11 in terms of replacing players and being able to uh, mimic their qualities, even if they're not at the same level, it's got to the situation where Ten Hag is asking far too much of his best players because of this approach, and the players coming in are incapable of doing it. You see how Lindelof's playing less back just completely changes the way that we can approach the game without Luke Shaw. So let alone without somebody who can replicate him. Yeah, the more and more time goes on, though, it looks more and more, you know, telling on the camp of the media side and criticizing Ten Hag because, yeah, you know, you're expecting Ten Hag to recognize the problems that he's had at the start of the season and adapt towards it. But you know, the fact that we're still playing this rock and roll style where we're having as many men on the final line, me personally, I hate it. Genuinely, I hate the fact of how imbalanced we are. Um, in terms of shape at every stage of the game, you know? And it comes to why United are so... Everyone keeps making the same criticism that you don't know what to expect with United. And I think it's, you know, the more and more time goes on, it's because of the shape. You don't know where players are going to be on a consistent basis. And that means in in build-up, you have, you know, you're expecting a moment of magic because there's no formulaic patterns to move the ball into certain areas of the pitch. And at the same time, when we lose possession, there's no formulaic pattern in our shape to sort of cut the pitch in half with our shape, you know, sort of overload one side, keep it compact. And it makes us really easy to play through. So, you know, the more and more time goes on, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I've, I've made the same criticisms of, that Carragher has made in that MNF piece for quite a while. And the more and more time goes on and that piece being sort of out in the in the in the media, the more and more I'm thinking like, bloody hell, like Ten Hag, he's been trying the same things and he's got no solutions to it. No, I think I'm definitely more on Carragher's sort of side and the fact that I don't think his analysis was wrong. I mean, obviously the place from where his analysis may have come may not have been Maybe Ten Hag does have a point. Maybe he is maybe slightly biased against United, but I don't think he's wrong. Um, I thought United were much more compact against Forest. Uh, it still was not perfect by any means. We're obviously operating with Amrabat and left back, and you know this weird box midfielders formed. But I did think that United were better against Forest in that sense. Um, but still, so many of those problems have just not gone away. They've not gone away all season. They didn't really go away last year. And I think even at the start of the year, Casemiro was sort of. You know, his legs were still there and he was he was bailing us out because he could cover all that ground. I actually think if you give Eric Ten Hag, let's say, Declan Rice, or you gave him maybe Amadou Inanna at uh, Everton, these sorts of players are probably capable of, 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 of bailing him out in a lot of these problems, like these physical beasts who are just like, can cover so much ground, have got mm-hmm. massive legs, but he doesn't have just, them. He's got to adapt to what he's got. And in terms of that, even if we did have 
say we had every perfect profile of player for this the way that United are playing now, I'd still argue that it's not a sustainable approach to try and win matches, to have that many players on the final. Say if we had Tony Cruz, who's one of the best long passers you know, of our generation, you know, dictating play and having the the six um players on the final line. Even then, Tony Cruz is, you know, one of the best passers ever. He's not gonna bail us out every time we get the the ball into creating a crazy, you know, one off attack. And I feel like, you know, you look at City, all these players are really top tier players. But the reason they're top tier is because they're playing in a system where they know where players are going to be every time they collect the ball. You know, the scanning becomes a lot easier when you know where they're going to be. And you're not over-exerting and over-relying on some some technical piece of brilliance to sort of bail you out. And the same goes defensively. Even if you did have Declan Rice and Onana, it's not a sustainable way to continue to win the ball back when, you, when you're expecting them to bail you out. So, yeah, I, I think... I might have exposed myself, but right now I'm very much on the media side with the criticism yeah. they have on Ten Hag. And, and my verdict in that in that department, again, open to change. Uh, it's, a, it's a criticism. I feel like United fans are either Ten Hag out, Ten Hag in. I'm not te- just because I'm taking the side doesn't mean I'm Ten Hag out. It just means this is very justified criticism and I'm, I'm very much on the side of the media and the criticism on this one. What, what about yourself, Isaac? Yeah, I agree with you. It's... Let's let's be able to change. Um, I'm, 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 some of the things that Ted Hogg says are very different to some of the things that he shows on the pitch. So I'd like to say that I'm on Ted Hogg's side, but uh, maybe his response to Carragher demonstrated something of a siege mentality. And no, I'm not going to listen to him and whatever. But but no, I think Carragher's criticism and a lot of the criticism of Ten Hogg tactically has been valid this season. Um, thus, United have lost so many games. You know, it's not it's not like it's not like. It's, it's, um, it's come from a place of United a third, like we were last year, and we're doing well. We have lost many, many matches this season. There's a reason why. So, yeah, I think I'm, I, I would say that for once, I can I can join you on the media side. Well, that's um, from Mr. Objective and seeing the rational side of things. I feel like the rational is in the court of the media for this, for this situation. So it, it is difficult to say from both of us, you know, but yeah. it's, a, it's a very just criticism. Uh, we've got two more sort of topic areas, um, sort of linking to the Ten Hag Carragher piece. Um, Ten Hag came out and said, you have to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture looks very good. I guess it's starting to go into like the mitigating reasons for why we're playing this way when we dissect that comment. Uh, Isaac, you touched on a couple of them, um, sort of the, the squad depth not being good enough. But what are if there are any, in your eyes, um, mitigating reasons for why we're playing like this and things to look forward to um, in the Ten Hag project under Ten Hag's voice? Well, I mean, obviously injury is a big one. Um, There's not... If if you're looking at the fact that United are kind of being more pragmatic in their build-up approach and not having as many patterns and being a bit more direct, it's obviously because we've had no Martinez, no Casemiro for most of the season, which has been a problem. Casemiro, I say, not in that he's massively helping in build-up, but he is one of our most progressive players, right? So he will he will switch the play. He will give you, even if he's wasting possession, he will give you progression. Um, 
I think not having them meant that United were very direct at the start of the year. We had Hoyland fighting defenders trying to use his body to get in these physical duels. And we had this weird sort of compromise where, you know, Onana was probably playing long passes to Hoyland rather than when he signed, we would have thought he'd be playing nice little neat tiki-taka out the back with Martinez. Um, so I think that, that 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 was initially one of the biggest shifts that we saw is, you know, the lack of Martinez messed us up. The lack of Shaw messed us up too. We didn't have the leopard Arter at the back. Now, obviously, we had the guys come back and things look good. I thought West Ham was a good starting point. We won 3-0. We had some decent patterns of play. I thought Martinez and Shaw both played really well. Um, Hoyland had a lot more possession and obviously has done in the last few games as well, where you know he was actually coming in as a, as a, as a net positive sort of link-up player. Obviously, now he's injured too, so that, that's going to throw it out the window. We have the same problem where we've got no one... We've got no like like sort of minded profile type thing. We've got nobody who can rep- replicate what Hoyland does, even to a lower standard, available to us in our squad. And yeah, most of the mitigation and most of the defence that I can give to Ten Hag is that he's inherited a Manchester United squad who for 10 years have been built using different managers' ideas rather than a one coherent plan, which has meant that there's a lot of players at his disposal who simply do not fit the way that he wants to play um, in terms of backing up his first teamers. So, you know, the best example is Anthony Martial. Martial's a great player, but he should have been sold years ago because he can't rely on him to stay fit. This would be perfect for Martial to come in now, but 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 but, but unfortunately, you know, his, his legs are cooked. He, he's done. So, you know, it's it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I do understand Ten Hag. I do understand, you know, you've got you've got players players out and you're struggling to replace him adequately in terms of keeping your tactics the same, but then he isn't helping himself at the same time too. It's a really, t- it's a really tough one because he, I do not understand why he had to play Forson on the right, Garnacho on the left, and Rashford through the middle. When he could have played Forson through the middle and kept Garnacho and Rashford where they were and kept a good thing yeah. going. Like I just think it's like I, I have sympathy for him. There, there is mitigation, but the way he's dealt with it is just so. Baffling. I guess, I guess the verdict question on this one is probably going to be the toughest one of the podcast. Because yeah. Ten Hag's basically the, the comment that we're dissecting is about Ten Hag saying that there is a project and there is a future. Just he's basically asking for more time. That's that's the subtext of the comment that he's made there. For sure. The yeah, very question even, that I'm yeah, go on. Even still though, like there can be a good future without Ten Hag. Like I think there is probably scope for there to be a good future with or without him. Okay, he's asking for good more time. But we have got some and Rashford said it in his in his in his players' tribune piece to go back to that. We have got a very good team. When our first team is available, our team is very good. And anyone who disagrees with that, I don't think you. I don't think I, I don't think football is the right sport for you because I, I think you know. You look at where United finished last season. You look at the caliber of some of those players and what they do for their international sides and what they've done in their previous clubs. We've got Bruno Fernandez, Mason Mount. Okay, Casemiro and Varane might be at the end of their careers, but obviously great footballers. Marcus Rashford is a is a, is a game breaker on the highest level when he when he's at his best. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland is one of the best young strikers in the world. Martinez is outstanding. Dallow is coming on as one of the most complete right-backs you'll find. Luke Shaw is brilliant. Even Onana last season was one of the best goalkeepers in Europe. Like, there are good players in this Manchester United squad. And that's why I kind of think, well, yeah, OK. I, I do have some sympathy in the fact that they've not been available. But the future's bright. You know, Kobe Mainu and Alejandro Ganacho as well. Like, the future is bright. There is something in that, whether Ten Hag's there or not. The future's bright, and um, I'm alluding to the question here of making a verdict. 
is the future bright with or without Ten Hag? Right now, as we currently sit, just before the Man City game, is 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 it still Ten Hag as the man leading the project for you, or should we start thinking elsewhere? What what, what is your verdict currently, right now? As um, the future is bright with Ten Hag, but it could very quickly turn quite sour before the end of the season if things don't pick up. It can be bright with Ten Hag, is what I'm going to say. You, you sort of... I'm fencing, the fence I'm not allowed sitting. to do this. I'm not allowed to do this, am I? You're um, not allowed to do this. <laughs> the future can well be bright with Ten Hag. Like it's, it's very possible that the future is bright with Ten Hag. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I'm the same, you know. Like I'm going to say this. Um, I am still waiting for the Ten Hag project to come into fruition. Yeah. But I think within the next month of fixtures, I could very well be on the opposite side of that verdict. Is that fence-sitting? Is that, am I sitting yeah. on a fence there? I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about fence-sitting, but I think <laughs> maybe, maybe what you're saying is yes, but it could, I could very easily see it being no soon. Like, I think you're yeah. basically, yeah, you, you actually are picking a side. You're saying, yeah, it is bright with Ten Hag, but you're saying that that's not like something that's nailed on. Like, it, it could not yeah. be. Yeah. And probably this is the weakest it's ever been in terms of. Yeah. In terms yeah, of I think so. like following Ten Hag, like, and and supporting him, this is the the weakest it's ever been for me. Yeah, I, I think I think also given the backdrop of all the changes that are impending by, by Ineos and the fact that there are new ideas and there's new people involved and there is probably a higher standard now and that Ten Hag isn't the guy who's working against the Glazers and, and, and doing this project at United, which is for the first time looks like a you know modern football sort of approach. It is instead actually well, there's quite a lot of great managers out there and we're going to have an idea and identity that comes from above, regardless of whoever the manager is. And that's something we've never had before. So it gets to the point where you think, okay, is Ten Hag in a position where he's as powerful and untenable as, as he was maybe before in the eyes of the fans? Absolutely not. No, he's not. So, yeah, I think it's probably, the, as you say, the first time that you can probably, as a Ten Hag fan or, you know, being a Ten Hag believer or... You know, we have seen some good things from him in his tenure here. We can't forget everything good that we've seen. But it gets to the point where the current climate is not the most Ten Hag friendly, to say the least. Yep. So that was uh, the sort of verdict and, you know, verdict on a, and three big issues, issues, three big people at uh, Man United. Yeah. And I think we've done the best job we could do in terms of not sitting on the fence. Um, yeah. But Isaac, I think I think that's the pod wrapped up. How yeah, in that one, it was nice, mate. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, it's it's hard sometimes when you when you try and be moderate all the time. Oh my god, the sun is blinding. Um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to be so moderate all the time, you know, actually committing to something can be hard in the sense that United is a world of compromises and and ifs, buts, and maybes at the moment. So like. You know, actually having to pick a side can be hard in the sense that, you know, there are so many arguments for every, all these all these key issues, everything that's ever happened this season. There's been significant 
for and against sort of arguments. So and that's why the fans all online all hate each other at the moment because there's so many arguments because inherently it's it sets it all up. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, mate. And uh, some good ideas. So yeah, um, you put all that together in the week. So thank you very much for, for doing that. It was good. Good stuff, Isaac. So you have been listening to the United Club. Uh, thanks for joining us.